1: And this is Patty Holtran. K Wad Radio. We're here today with Chet Shoop and he is in the Colin queue right now. And I'm gonna introduce him. I met Chet uh well for a little over a month ago at a writer's uh workshop. We were uh Learning more about marketing, and um, after we publish our book, what to do with it. So, uh, I was in that class helping out, and I met Chet, and he asked if I could, you know, help him with some marketing, help him with some media work, and I said sure. So that was about a month ago, and we've been working uh, together since then. And I'm to introduce Chet Shoepe. He's a professional. His professional background is in electronics engineering. As a young engineer, never did he imagine that someday he would be developing a thesis that addressed sociological issues. At some point in mid-career, however, he was inspired to apply his background in control theory to to the human condition. Out of this, he has come to a unique perspective addressing the perplexing issues that increasingly face us including, among other things, our lack of intimacy. Why is our world essentially without intimacy when that is what we want most? That's a really good question. Intimacy is to feel as one with those around us and with our surroundings, where being in the moment is as natural as breathing. If what we want most is to love and be loved, what is preventing it? Chet's going to offer some answers to the question and also suggest a path in which to recover from our natural state of in- intimacy. And, of course, it couldn't be at a better time, which is right before Valentine's Day. Are you there, Chet?
2: Yes, I'm here.
1: Hey. So glad to have you here.
2: Yeah, I'm not on the phone I was planning to use, but we'll get by. Am I coming through okay?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think everybody can hear you. Great. And well, just let let Yeah. Just to let everybody know, um we are on chat. You have a few people on guests on the guest chat. So if you have any questions, just type them in there, uh in the chat and I will definitely forward that to Chet and ask his question for you. Or if you have a comment or if you'd like to say, Hey Chet, how are you doing? And you go ahead and do that and I will definitely forward that to you. Also the guest call in number for everyone is seven one four. Two four two five one four five. that's 714-242-5145. Obviously, if you call on your cell phone, that would be fine, uh, but otherwise it will be a call. It will be a charge on your regular phone, the landline. So, chat. I introduced you, but tell us a little bit more about you.
2: Okay, well, first thing I want to say is the reason I'm not on the phone I was expecting to be because I called this number on the landline and they said it wasn't in service. <laughs> so if people have some difficulties out there, well, this oh, may be promoting, okay. but uh, most of you have cell phones, so that shouldn't be a problem. Well, I grew up on a small farm, well, part farm and part ranch, in a small rural community in southwestern Kansas. As you mentioned, my profession is as electronic engineer. And as you noted, <laughs> I ended up applying my engineering background to sociological issues, something I never imagined that I would ever have any reason to be doing. This happened because at the age of 43, I was successfully treated for severe attention deficit disorder from which I'd suffered all my life. By the way, excuse my voice. I'm recovering from somewhat of a cold.
1: (laughs) Well, forgive you.
2: Okay, until then, my life had been largely a story of surrealistic horrors. The experience of having a serious brain dysfunction suddenly corrected by the drug Ritalin gave me unusual insight as to what those billions of neurons between our ears are doing up there. As a result of that experience, I soon became concerned with issues such as, what is the brain's purpose? Applying my background in system control theory, I concluded the brain is a controller of the life of the species. I then became focused on understanding why all species are self-governed. This has led to an engineering-based, rather than a religiously, psychological, psychological, philosophic, or neurologically-based assessment of the human condition. By the way, if I have a strange accent, I just call it a Kansas accent. (laughs) I try to get by with that. So So I address many concerns. Given our present circumstances, the main issues are, why are we destroying our habitat when we know that we need it to survive? And why are we living essentially without relational intimacy? When what we each want more than anything else is to love and to be loved. Though those yes, two sir. problems may, though those two problems may seem unrelated, they both result from the same issue. Upon our metaphoric expulsion from Eden, we have since been trusting our lives to monetary and legal systems. Instead of the human spirit, indeed, we have seen the human spirit as our enemy.
1: Well, that's uh, quite a puzzle, and uh, and you definitely have a lofty uh, subject matter here, and something that you know is definitely near and dear to I would think most of our hearts, or should be. And uh, yes, so.
2: <laughs> you were you were coming through to me real there, well there for a second.
1: Oh, I, I said that you're that you have a really deep uh, discussion here, and an ideology uh, that okay. it should be should be near and dear to our hearts.
2: Well, like you mentioned earlier, since it's coming close to Valentine's Day, I guess love right. is an issue of uh, treasure. But keep in mind, uh, in all of this discussion, I'm talking about relational intimacy, not romantic intimacy, though there's nothing wrong with that either.
1: I'm glad that you uh, clarified that, that that way we don't have to issue a rated R version here. (laughs) (laughs) This is not just for adults, this is for all families. I mean, we're we're talking, uh, you know, this is family-oriented, so... Uh, nothing that I think that Chet has ever really said too much about uh, it, that's probably about as far as you're well, going to get right there
2: <laughs> it could be that children could deal with it better than adults
1: <laughs> well I think they have a natural gift for it don't you think that, that I think
2: children are spiritually free they're not repressing how they feel about now in order to realize their visions of the future
1: at well, what point do you now? think well, what point point do you think that they change
2: well, the moment that uh they realize they have to go to school i guess the, the moment they realize that uh, uh becoming an adult is to be concerned more about the future than about the present hmm.
1: i mean I wouldn't you know, think the, that I wouldn't think that being at school would actually cause them to not to be intimate.
2: Well, I'm not saying that they're not in the classrooms. I'm saying that they're in school because sooner or later they realize that to survive they have to serve a monetary system Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. not
2: themselves and one another which they did when they were little kids and that Mm -hmm. is what we, I mean, as adults, we end up transferring the significance of life to the future. We don't live in the moment. We transfer the significance of life to the future, and it's through school is which we start learning that process.
1: Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit and talk a little bit about your your writing because I know a lot of a lot of authors are listening right now. They listen to the show regularly and they like to know. Um more about the author and and what uh how do they okay. you know get how, what do they do with their their lives so I say it's rare today to find an author who does nothing but write for a living. Do you have a real job other than writing, and if so, what is it and what are some jobs you've had in in your life in the past well <clears throat>
2: uh other than the work my dad put me to the on my Kansas farm. Uh, I spent my career as an engineer, from which I'm now retired. And I'm not an author by profession. I'm okay. an author just because I have something I want to say.
1: There you go. You got a platform. You want to. You definitely want to say it. So. Yeah. That's. Uh, you're not a professional author. You just it's something that you're you're doing in order to be able to get the message out. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, what compelled you to write that first book then?
2: Well, I guess they say the best way to learn is to write. (laughs) I suffered during my life, not only from brain dysfunction, but after having that corrected from cultural dysfunction. I just wanted to understand more clearly what has happened, not only to me, but what has happened to her species. Through my writing, a lot of those answers came, at least to my satisfaction. Through my writing, I not only do I learn, but I can also share my conclusions with others.
1: That's terrific. Uh, so you really haven't always wanted to be a writer. Obviously, you something that you were saying that came later?
2: Yeah, no, no. <laughs> No, with an explanation point, I haven't always wanted to be a writer. I I probably shouldn't admit this, but the only course I ever failed was freshman English
3: at (laughs) Kansas State
2: University. Keep in mind, though, with ADD, school was not easy for me. Indeed, I considered school the punishment we get for being born.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I would think there's a lot of other punishments, but <laughs> going to going to school is, yeah, I, I can understand. Most kids would say that, you know, they'd rather do anything but go to school.
2: Well, a young young man should be out playing with their buddies, building their bodies and their skills, learning from elders, as required to contribute to the life of their extended families when they're adults. Not not be required to set. Quiet and still in a classroom for hours while attending mm-hmm. subject matter for which most of them are have don't have the slightest interest.
1: I'm going to divert for a second and, and ask a question about this. Uh, you know, now we we make it mandatory for children to go to school where once upon a time we used to have you know uh, some schooling, but most kids wind up having to work the farm. Or and as you said, learning a trade with someone, finding a mentor, finding someone to, uh could you know, help them to learn a trade. Do you think that yeah. we should get back to that kind of? Well, well,
2: any time you lose community. See, when we lived in Eden, life was totally community. And so the education happens by nature. There is no school or anything. You just learn from your elders and uh, you play how to be an adult. But Mm -hmm. the more you lose community, the more we are no longer accountable to one another directly. The more we're accountable solely to yourself through some abstract method of attaining our resources, which in this world is money. Right. So the reason we're going, the reason we're going to school isn't to be true to ourselves and to one another. We're going to be, to school to be true to a monetary system, so that we can have food and clothing and shelter and respectability when we're adults. But that don't even that don't get us to community. That just gets us to something on the table. Uh, there's not much food for the soul in that life, there, you know, uh, but we mm-hmm. do get our material needs uh, provided if we're
1: fortunate so i think that perhaps when an, a country becomes more industrialized such as uh, as the us said and we suddenly had uh, you know you had parents all, you know both going to to work it became i think necessary to find ways for the children to you know to uh use, utilize their time you think that's why we became obsessed with the educational system?
2: Well, uh, for me, it goes way back. I mean, the moment you start allowing money to make claims on the land, then money will drive people off the land. That's happened from the time of our very first monetary systems in Rome. See, in Egypt, they didn't have a monetary system. And therefore, they lasted for about 5,000 years because there wasn't anything to drive them off the land. Mm-hmm. But money always drives people off the land. As a matter of fact, our world in this day is being, the, 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 the bread baskets of this world are presently being uninhabited. Everyone's being driven to the cities. And it's, people don't go to the city because they like the city. They go Mm -hmm. there because there's no way to stay on the land economically. And so they go to the city. They they don't like slums. But if there's no way to survive on the land, they end up in slums. And uh, once every once in the city, then you're totally dependent on industry or whatever you got, you know, just Mm -hmm. to keep things going.
1: Well, we, we've got ourselves a caller. Are you ready for somebody? Sure. Okay, this is going to be number 1139, your last four digits. Are you there?
4: Yes, good evening. My name is Hugh. I'm in Virginia. I was basically just listening, but it's a very interesting, and I'm working on a big mission and vision of bringing spirituality into global economics and combining it with unconditional love.
1: Well, that's well. Awesome.
2: <laughs> well, that uh, you know, whatever, whatever people can do to get people more directly dependent on one another, I celebrate because only in yeah. interdependency can can intimacy exist. And from my point of view, but I'm not saying I'm right. I hope you have some ideas there. That'll help. From my point of view, money is the enemy of intimacy. Because as long as each each individual has a separate bank account, then we are spiritually estranged by that bank account. And uh, But I don't want to be... I mean, just the words you said in your question ring true to my heart because you are talking about intimacy and so I don't want to. i just explaining what my view is. I that doesn't mean that what you're working on isn't valid. Yes, I'd like to
4: share a blog with you in that respect. If you Google the word creativity777.com it will bring it up. And, Thank uh, you so much. Yes, I have a little poem on there that I and I have a self-taught expertise of what I term creative utilization of information. And this poem is only three lines long. It's titled Caring, Sharing. It reads, if you dare to care, then share. If you share, pay heed. God will reward every good deed. And currently I'm using that poem to help the people of Haiti who can't help themselves.
1: Beautiful.
4: Wow. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yes I I thanks
2: for thanks for your effort and concerns.
4: Yes, it's it's getting out there more and more and people uh they want the spirituality in the economics, they want the transparency, they wanna see companies responsible for their employees, their customers, the environment and the community. And if they're not gonna be that way in the future, they're not gonna be around long.
2: Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you much.
1: Well, thank you. I'm going to put you on hold. Okay, you thank you very else. much. Thank you. You can continue to listen, though. I'll just put you on hold, though. Yes. No, that was a wonderful call. And we always yeah. uh, we always look, well, look forward to people who want to and, and try to make a difference in the world.
2: Yeah. Well, I'd like to address the issue of why the book's title is Eden.
1: Yes, I was going to ask you that. Okay. (laughs)
2: Um, By that that title, with the subtitle Regaining Our Spiritual Freedom, I run the risk of of the book being seen as religious, when it is in fact quite the opposite. But he used that title because, in my view, by our expulsion, mankind was transformed from surviving by being true to ourselves and relationships with one another and to the land, to surviving by subjugating ourselves to legal and monetary systems. In my mind, understanding what brought about our metaphoric expulsion from Eden is a central issue of mankind's continuing existence on this planet. As for the term spiritual in the subtitle, as I advise the readers in Eden, in my book, spiritual nature means exactly the same as emotional nature. I speak of regaining our spiritual freedom rather than regaining our emotional freedom only because the term spiritual seems more powerful and inclusive expression despite the risk of misinterpretation. Besides, if a religious person picked, up, picked it up by mistake, then nothing's wrong with that. From the point of view of Eden, we are all religious, meaning mm. that the idea that governmental institutions, science, and technology will save us is as profound an illusion as the idea that God will save us.
1: Wow. <laughs> well, I no, know that's everything. a bold
2: statement, but.
1: Yes, but, yeah, but
2: trust me, I don't respect any I don't disrespect anyone for being religious. I mean, this book is my religion for God's sakes. I mean, without intimacy, without any way to secure our needs from the land mm-hmm. to our relationships with one another, we all have to have something to believe in.
1: Well that's just that's, for our emotional
2: that's survival.
1: That's true. And I, I find that, you know, sometimes I, I wonder how people who don't have something to believe in can actually get through the day, you know, uh, because of well, everything going on in their lives, that sometimes just a lot.
2: I did know a guy, a good friend of mine, as a matter of fact, who, by the way, has played a role in this book because he's listened to a lot of my going on about it when I worked for him, when I worked with him. But anyhow... He had just sort of decided that life is uh that life is meaningless and just was comfortable with that. <laughs> and I guess that's one way to deal with it.
1: No, you, not many, wait, you
2: Not not many people can manage that.
1: No and, no. and he
2: was a very stable, very very a very dear friend. I don't want to in any way negate who he was by by having the listener think that 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 I'm negating him by that deal, no, he, he managed very well with that, and at least he wasn't dangerous. Which when we get hopped up about our yeah. all the meanings we mistakenly put in life, we can become deadly. Yeah. But not because we're bad. But we got to have something to do.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I often say that uh, especially with um, some kids who like to uh, mess with computer systems and and hack into computers, I'm thinking, man, if they actually put, you know the, the their brilliant minds into and do something, you know, other than that, can imagine what they could do with it. Yeah. So well,
5: are
1: you I know that you oh, told yeah. me that I know you told me that you were not going not really writing another book. So, what are so, you working on right now? Well, uh,
2: I've, uh, I, you know, when I finished Eden, I thought my writing was done for a while. You know, <laughs> not not that I was pleased about that, but I just what to thought. But it turns out, I find that uh, things, ideas, keep coming to my head, and so possibly some of the most uh, encompassing things I, that I've written has been since I finished Eden and uh, they will be reflected in one way or another in future editions if that were to come about but uh, I am writing turned out some articles which I hope to get published uh, to promote Eden and some finished ones are one is spiritual zombies (laughs) another one is saving the world by rediscovering happiness another one is adaptability a blessing or a curse which, by the way, can be found on the Internet at Smashwords. And my latest latest essay is The Peril of Language. As as for another book, Eden is it, as I told you. In my view, I have only one story to tell. Anything else I have to say will eventually go between the covers of revised versions of Eden.
1: There you go. And, so and with nonfiction, you can do that. Yeah. Which, uh, believe it or not, we've got yeah. somebody else, we got somebody local on the yeah, line. I,
2: I keep telling people, you know, at, uh, at the writers' clubs, you know, when I present this stuff, I would keep you they, they say, what do you write? And my answer has consistently been non-fiction, I hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely definitely not fiction we hope.
2: I mean, I well. have no way to know. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs>
1: We got somebody local on the line. Okay. Number 5315,
0: are you there? Yep, I'm here. This is Mary Ann, and I've read uh, Chet's book twice. Um, And I am fascinated with one particular aspect of it. Uh, Indeed, uh, I agree that we think science and technology are going to save us. We believe that. Well, when we run out of whatever there is on the earth to live from, that there will be something, some other place for us to go, or some technological uh, marvel that will make life uh, okay again. And but really, I think we all understand, and it's I think it's the basis of the interfere that I think all people have. There really is no safety. You could go out of your house today and be, and something fall on you and kill you. And mm-hmm. um, I, I take his discussion of intimacy to really be tightly allied with that idea because i think the only safety or the only antidote to the lack of safety is the intimacy of which he refers to which he refers and um i the idea of people being completely dependent on each other in in itself just to contemplate that it's like jumping into a pool of water from a high height to me and i think too too many other people i think that there's a lot of we have fear uh of each other we're afraid of each other we've gotten to such a point of lack of intimacy that we're afraid of each other
2: we we've, we've, yeah, yeah, we've been indoctrinated exactly. in fear yes we've well, been indoctrinated in fear but go ahead
0: well my the question i wanted to ask you is i i know you i i sense that you believe that the human individual is hardwired for intimacy um, and that requires in, in order for us to have that it requires that we no longer live in large massive communities is that right
2: well what we have see we're members of a social species and uh, you, you take a member of any you take any social species on this planet you will find that natu- you'll find extended families of one sort of another and those families would be about the right size. And the only thing that I, I see uh, humans living in spiritual freedom is different from that is that I think that the social structure in a natural human culture will go one step above family. It won't go to the level of community in which a number of families will be supporting each other by by protecting each other's territorial claims. But before I go on, I want to say uh, a bit about Mary Ann. Thanks for calling, Mary Ann. You're welcome. Mary Ann has assisted me as a professional critique for a year or so before completing Eden. Her assistance has been invaluable not only as a critique, but as a source of inspiration and as a friend. Mary Ann, by the way, her last name is Ferrari, And that's spelled F-A-R-R-A-R-I, just like that little Italian guy that made all those fast cars. But anyhow, Marianne wrote about the author in Eden, and and most of the text on the back cover. And indeed, a lot of the richness of Eden is in part due to her participation. I just wanted to mention that.
0: Well, I'm blushing now.
2: Well... uh,
0: you're, we, you're, we, you're, we, do, we can't tell that on the radio, but <laughs> okay. so we well, do
1: discuss.
2: Your support has been invaluable, and thank you so well, much.
0: Well, thank you, Chet. Um, oh, we discussed this a lot. Uh, I am I am still not on board with the entire solution that Chet has come up with. I can't bring myself to it. I think there's a surrender involved in it that I'm not ready to make. And uh, just as I I really envision, intimacy is a surrender, uh, individual intimacy. And I think this is a giant intimacy that he's talking about. And uh, I find it fascinating to contemplate.
2: Well, certainly the issue that you talk to is the one, see, I don't know if spiritual freedom will ever happen. How would I know? But, The thing that will be the most difficult is the issue that you so honestly express, Marianne. But uh, my hope is is that there's a few women out there, and by the way, when I see a natural human family, I'm talking about a a, a group of from 15 to 20 people who are bonded by their emotional and material need for one another. And uh, that means without separate monetary identities and without rules in the wall prescribing how they will serve one another. But I think that, oh, and the other important feature about that family is is that the nucleus is a bond between women. And the men will be there by the grace of the women to support the women and their children. And not only that, the men will behave <laughs> not because of a lot of that effect, but simply for the privilege of being allowed in the women's presence.
1: Yeah, I know most if, men are probably, probably not, not ready to hang up on you, but you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> we women yeah. They, <laughs>
2: they may not realize it, but having a woman with her life anchored in a sisterly bond would be much better in many instances than having a woman who's trying to anchor her life in him. Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that Sister bond has to offer those women that we, and I'm including me, have no hope, have no clue.
0: May I throw in a thought here? Pardon? May I throw in a thought on that? Sure. I think one of the most fascinating aspects of Chet's ideas is his conviction that being a social species, humanity was not genetically prepared for pair bonding, rather for, as he refers to it, social bonding. And uh, he explains that the divorce rate is as high as it is because it is unnatural for us to pair bond. I mean, you could really talk about that for hours. (laughs) Yeah, well...
2: You know, yeah. through private violence and emotional and physical abuse, you know, basically, our our spiritual natures are screaming at us, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> we, they, our spiritual natures want a body of people. They don't hmm. want one other person out there that's that's trying to be real. I'm well, not blaming you know, and people then women. Women don't
0: women shouldn't want to completely prostrate themselves to the needs of everybody else all the time. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is well, you know, for me, proves well, it.
2: What, well, women women want to take care. That's what women are about. They want to take care and so many times in a pair bonding relationships, women give their all to that relationship. And yet things just for some reason don't work out. And they end up blaming themselves.
5: Mm, yeah. They aren't
2: the problem They aren't the problem They they are trying to make a dysfunctional family work I mean uh, a dysfunctional family From the point of view of our emotional natures mm. And you can't do it I mean you, you can endure But experiencing intimacy I mean relational intimacy And enduring are two very different things in an extended okay. family,
1: we would know intimacy. I can imagine because that a lot of a lot of things like um, I watch the news very very little. I mean, I'll sit there and I'll watch it for about five to six minutes is about all I can bear, and then I change a channel. Um, most of what you're talking about, you know, the things that I see on the news, could have been alleviated and not even have happened. If we would have had well, this you know, relationship with you know a, a group of well, people who took care of each other,
2: I, I, let me say when I talk about marriage, I don't want people get the idea. You know, from my point of view, any relationship in which people experience intimacy is functional. I mean, intimacy is a test for functionality, and in the obvious reality that there are many happy married couples. I would in no way ever want for anyone to think that I'm disparaging their relationship in the least. If you are experiencing intimacy, then you are finding satisfaction to the needs of your souls. The problem is satisfaction to a lot of our souls cannot be provided by that relationship. And evidence is in the distressing, dysfunction of our family, overcrowded abuse shelters, uh, disappointments and disillusions in the relationship. And, uh, you know, I have once said, I have said, I have thought if there was any institution in this world that causes much abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, As the institution of marriage, we would outlaw it before the sun rose the next morning. But there again, I don't want for anyone to think that I'm disparaging any particular married relationship. If people are experiencing intimacy, and here I'm talking about uh, relational intimacy, Mm -hmm. then they are filling the needs of their souls. And I celebrate that. I uh, rejoice in your good fortune.
1: So um, how do you feel, or how did you feel the day that you held the first book in your hands? Well,
2: it was. You know, this book required only a little over two years to write. But arriving at the comprehension required to put it together required decades. In that mm-hmm. sense, it was exciting. On the other hand, there was uncertainty. If I am right, to regain our natural state of intimacy and sustainability, we require that our way of life be radically transformed. People have their lives, even their identities, referenced in our present way of life. It is quite understandable that people will not take kindly to many of the things I have to say, even if the promise is intimacy. Many of things have been difficult for me, for even me to face. The success of Eden, therefore, is in no way assured, certainly not in my lifetime. I can't get too excited about that. I'll just have to roll with the punches, however they fall. On the other hand, because it profoundly questions many beliefs that authorize our present way of life, the success of Eden could cost me my life, a risk I take with reverence. To live under such a threat, of course, would not feel good, but, but what if it actually does cost me my life, I sometimes ask myself. The only answer that comes to mind in those moments is, considering what I see as a stake, my life amounts to nothing, and that is a liberating thought, not a repressive one.
1: Well, usually it's people, you know, a lot of authors say that, that it's like holding their first child. And uh, and we get into a whole death thing with you. so. <laughs> yeah. It, it just goes to show how deep your uh, conviction is on this specific subject.
0: Yeah,
2: and by the way, the last paragraph in the introduction to my book, it says, I don't have it here, I'd read it. But it says and finally uh, I do not know the truth. <laughs> I want to assure the listeners I don't know the truth. You know and Eden you will find a surprisingly simple argument that explains virtually everything that's happened to our kind for the last six thousand years. But uh that doesn't mean it's true. Only the truth only the truth Uh, The future can reveal the truth. And for that revelation to happen regarding Eden would require that some people actually trust their life to the human spirit by forming families based on feelings rather than arrangements. Okay. So, I'm just saying, I don't know the truth. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, this well, is just a belief, the like question, all
1: the others. I guess the question is: um, I mean, a lot of people who really believe in your conviction, convictions or some uh, some lofty ideal, um, I, you know, either, uh, as you say, you know, they were they were killed or, or, or you know, they had a problem surviving in this world. Uh, well, they didn't. They, they didn't really see their their convictions. Uh, come true, so I think in this particular case, well, why why go forward with it?
2: Well, at my last paragraph in my book, uh, at, the, at the chapter 10, I think it is, I talk about uh, you know, I'm not a leader. <laughs> I, hopefully I'm a teacher, but I'm not a leader. And so I'm the last person on earth that would ever consider any of my business how other people should be living. So hmm spiritual bonds were to actually start happening, because of what I've shared in Eden, I would be sitting on a couch somewhere uh, with my fingernails between my teeth saying to myself, God, what have I done? <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, if as as circumstances develop, those bonds prove to be stable and the people are finding true fulfillment in their relationships with one another, then I'd be in tears. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like it's my mission to save the world. I No one can save the world. And uh, when I first realized what I think's happened, I sort of felt like that was my mission. But that's deadly. you got to mm-hmm. get over that real quick. And uh, so at this point... You know, whatever happens, happens. And uh, certainly I would like to see uh, something happen. Because though I don't know if this is the truth, it is certainly my truth. And I would like to know before I pass on whether uh, I was right or not. But without some people trusting their last one, I'll never know. And uh but, but at the same time uh understanding what's happened, even though it was a tremendous shock when it I first realized it has really made my life rather pleasant otherwise. Though I would still love to have a real family, a real spiritual home before I die for myself. But otherwise because I don't get involved in relationships in ways that spiritually I don't fit and there's a lot of pain when we get involved in relationships where our spirits don't fit, and at least our yeah. relief of that pain.
1: That's definitely true. So obviously you had to come to some kind of inspiration, and you know, obviously, you know, it should be able to come to this conclusion. So what has inspired you and motivated you to write this?
2: Well. I think I have um you know you all want to make a difference,
5: mm-hmm.
2: and uh I have suffered a lot, and uh it's just that uh I wanted to understand my suffering and I wanted to understand why the whole world isn't suffering. Indeed, the world is waiting in suffering. And uh, I guess inspiration is to try to have some impact on the suffering. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully have some impact. I mean, we all want, I mean, every one of the listeners, we all want our lives to count. And this is just a way that my life can count if what I'm doing ever makes any difference. And I guess uh, whether it does or not, I'll just have to take my chances with that.
1: So what one thing are you really proud of in your life?
2: Well, I don't know if it's something to be proud of. But uh, surviving 42 years of depression due to the bewilderment resulting from living with a seriously dysfunctional brain is no small thing. During much of that time, my reality was, if I were a man, by that I mean if I had the courage to do what I knew really needed to be done, I would have killed myself. After all. There's no point of existing as a suffering organism. Except for the successful treatment, I would have been right. Don't ever think suicide is happening due to lack of courage. Indeed, they are often the result of great courage, courage that I did not have. In view of my subsequent treatment, I am glad, of course, that I didn't have the courage to do what I felt needed to be done. But anyhow, back to your question. <laughs> well, I'm kind of I'm kind of proud of surviving that.
1: There you it go. Weren't e-
2: it were not easy. I mean, uh, I went, and I, I'm not I'm not alone in this. I'm sure there's listeners out there who can identify with this. Through my college years, I was in so much pain that there were times when I didn't think I could go another five minutes, but it just went on week after week there there are there are a few moments when I went through periods of euphoria they would last for 8 to 10 hours but you know what I think that was
5: mm-hmm.
2: I think the uh the glands that secreted the uh the chemicals required to bring on the depression needed to rest every now and then and I think when I went through my periods of euphoria those glands were just recovering <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know that much about neurology, so don't take that too seriously. But that's just sort of how I explain it.
1: Okay, okay. That's, that's uh, I, I'm going to ask you something light-hearted. I know we've been really going hev- heavy with a lot of really deep stuff. So uh, for those who have been very patient, I like to ask something a little more light-hearted, and uh, let's talk about your hobbies.
2: Well. I have two, I guess, uh, photography and motorcycling.
1: And they they sort of
2: go hand in hand as I'm able to share my photography with my riding groups by functioning as a group photographer. People ask, why do you ride a motorcycle? (laughs) You know, they're worried. (laughs) I have two answers. A motorcycle makes a ski slope out of the whole world. And... (laughs) And only from the seat of a motorcycle does this world have any hope of making sense. There's <laughs> risk, of course, but to be alive is to be at risk. By the way, it's kind of hard to keep me light today, isn't it? There's <laughs> risk, of course, but to be alive is at risk. That is why.
1: Ask I, I, well, you what you felt when you picked up your first book, and you tell me about your death. So. <laughs>
2: If that is, a, But if I have to go riding a the motorcycle, then I at least will die living. To not ride would be to live dying, at least without the intimacy of a body of people bonded in spiritual trust. But the greatest value of motorcycle is the multidimensional life experiences I have with the folks with whom I ride. Without a spiritual home, they are my source of intimacy. And that's my family. I tell them, you folks are great. Because of you, I don't even have to go to church.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay.
5: <laughs>
1: well, you know, you're out riding and you're experiencing life, and that's, that's yeah, that makes life worth living.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh,. So I see a rather dim view of my circumstances, I mean, personally, I'm doing surprisingly well. So I, I mean, my, the pain I feel is what I see, uh, not so much what's going on in my life, but uh, what I see and what's going on around me. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Well, I know it
2: hurts us all. I'm not saying I'm special there. I know it hurts the listeners, too.
1: Definitely. I mean, yeah, as you said, that uh, we've lost our spiritual intimacy, so, you know, we're all... uh, Yeah, well,
2: well, without, you know, to, to me, happiness and intimacy are one and the same. I mean, if you don't have intimacy, you're not happy. You're in pursuit of happiness. And how do you how do we pursue basically the pursuit of happiness to me just means uh, managing pain. You know, to live in a civil culture, one in which our lives are in plans and arrangements instead of people, is basically an issue of pain management. And how do we manage pain? Well, we got motorcycles for one. And we got all kind of cameras and we got all kinds of stuff we get occupied in. You know to live without anything real to do, which is to take care of one another so uh that's uh yeah, intimacy is what life's about. I mean all those other creatures are out there living in intimacy. why can't we <laughs> you know that's basically the that's basically what the issue is
5: mm-hmm. and the
2: issue that I'm trying to bring to our conscious awareness. Why is that? That all the other animals seem to know that happiness is the business of life. And we got all sorts of things that we're, we're so separated from happiness that we've got the right to pursue happiness in our constitution.
1: <laughs> so this,
2: this problem has been going yeah, on for a long yeah. time.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you know the thing is that, that people keep trying to get rid of our constitution, so it's you know uh, they're trying to get well, rid of their pursuit of happiness. I mean, why would they do that?
2: Well, well, the issue is uh, the constitution's not going to save us. The reference for life is in the hearth of human existence is in a sisterly bond. It's not in a law. It's not in a court. It's not in a king. It's not in a god it's in what it's in the collective awareness of those women when they're taking care of each other, when they're taking care of their children, and they're taking the care of the men who have joined to support them. That's where the heart of human life is, and those women they won't put up with nonsense
5: <laughs>
2: and what is nonsense? I mean, they don't not put up with nonsense because they think nonsense is bad. They won't put up with it because they won't feel like putting up with it. And what is nonsense? Nonsense is anything that those women deem to be nonsense. That's the final word. That is if we want to keep living on this planet.
1: Well, i want to talk to you a little bit about uh, population. Um. You know, so many uh people are again disconnected it says uh when we lived in eden obviously it was a smaller population but now sure. do you think we become too large to even consider going back to that fundamental well ideology
2: i tell you what the more we are lost In all the things we're doing, the more answers there are for which there are no, the more questions are for which there are no answers. And I guess you might say that's one of them. You know, uh, if what we're doing seems reasonable, see, yeah, the question is, well, spiritual freedom wouldn't be practical. There's too many people. Well, my answer to that is, and it's not a very good answer, but this is my answer. If what we're doing seems practical and it's leading to our self-destruction, then whether or not spiritual freedom is practical is sort of beside the point. <laughs> you know, we we don't trust our lives to other people to save the planet. We trust our lives to other people because we want to regain intimacy. We want to again become one with one another, with our surroundings, and with the land that sustains us, where all time, past and future, falls into the moment. That's why we seek intimacy. That's why we seek spiritual, not to save the planet. Now, all I can say is that if enough people found intimacy, then that might that might save the planet. Because if we were securing our needs directly from the land, even if we had the population of the world we have today, our need for resources would be minuscule compared to what they are now. And and besides the issue of population, you know, nature's going to decide ultimately where the earth has too many people. That's not your decision, my decision, any government's decision. I mean, okay. you know, that's okay. one of those deals where, you know, I I am certainly for environmentalism and I contribute to environmentalism and I Celebrate anyone out there that's trying to save the habitat. But to think that we can save the habitat by design isn't giving nature much much respect. You know, nature is a big operation. <laughs> Do you really think we can save the forces that created us by design? I don't think so, but but despite the fact that I, I'm not discouraging any environmental efforts, I celebrate them all, and I will share with you and them all.
1: So what do you think the most severe issues facing our society is right now? Is it the function of the modern family?
2: Well, uh, basically, once we lose intimacy, everything becomes dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. We we get lost in a s in a a way of life that is a cerebral fantasy. Or it could be a, a nightmare, depending upon where you find yourself on the ladder of privileges. So uh from my point of view the problems are holistic <laughs> but they are focused on two things. I mean, basically, if you want to bring it out, they're focused, from my point of view, on two things, our lack of intimacy and the fact that we're destroying the environment we need to survive. And those, and only by regaining our intimacy is there any hope of resolving the other. As a matter of fact, I, you know, our fundamental problem is the lack of intimacy, the lack of trusting our lives to one another. You know, All the problems we're trying to solve on this planet are not the real problem. They're just symptoms of having outlawed the human spirit in the belief by the force of law we can control our destiny. The human spirit isn't here to control any destiny. It's here to be true to the process that gifted it with life. And that's a happening. I mean, you... That spirit doesn't project intentions decades into the future, because that's an illusion that anything can be controlled decades into the future. The spirit may concern about the rhythms. You know, one way I said any any image of the future that we have that supersedes the natural rhythms and seasons of life is a figment of our imagination. It's not reality. And we have our whole life referenced in trying to realize images of the future that have no basis in reality, at least by that definition. So that, to me, is a problem. Uh, All the other things are just symptoms of, of trying to make what isn't real real and repress what is real in the process. We've sort of turned life upside down.
1: Well, we're getting close to the end here, and I just wanted to everyone to know that um, on the chat, I've got Chet's uh, website address, and that is spiritualfreedompress.com. Spiritualfreedompress.com. He's got more information on his book and uh, and more, you know, some question and answers, some ideology uh, on his website, and more about him as well. Where else can we find you, Chet?
2: Well, okay, you've got my website address on there, right? Yes, okay, well, my book is available at Amazon, and you can uh, okay. read as typically you can in those books the first uh, two or three chapters and in the introduction on so you can get some idea what it is
1: there you and, it. Uh, yeah. I believe
2: and if the- any of you if, if any of you out there like it, of course, I would encourage you to. Give me a review. Now, if you don't like it, uh, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so remember that everybody has a right to believe in something. Yeah. Uh, also on your your publisher is?
2: Uh, Arcadia uh, publisher? Okay. Publishing. Go ahead. Well, it, it's on there.
1: Right. Yes. Okay. She's doing is I'm. I'm asking. I know who it is. I just am letting oh, you tell everybody. Oh, Karen else.
2: Gray, Karen Gray okay. with it. And she's done a great job for me. She's done a fantastic job. Uh, they did yeah. a the, the the picture on the front of the book. By the way, since I have hobbies photography, I I did the picture, but they did the book layout and they did a fantastic job for me. I'm really uh, pleased with that.
1: So, as well as being uh big be buy it on amazon, you can get it directly from the publisher which yep. i will, which i always uh-huh. recommend i I, yeah. I i don't believe in monopolies, but you know yeah. uh amazon has their has their way about them, but yeah. i definitely am all for uh you know getting uh buy business to publishers, so definitely take a look at that. I will include that so that way you guys can have that. And are you on Facebook yet?
2: Yes, I am on Facebook, but I don't understand it.
1: <laughs> well, how can they if get If someone away?
2: out there wants to volunteer and tell me what the heck is going on there, well, come on over. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> you know, You know how I can tell I'm getting old? Because I'm not sure what an iPod is. But more significantly, I don't even want to (laughs) know. You don't care. (laughs) I don't care.
1: It doesn't matter in the whole scope of, of, you know, your reality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the question I always ask at the end of every uh, interview, and... uh, is is an interesting one, and and it usually helps me to understand, uh, and and other people to understand, you know, kind of who you are, and, and by your answer. And I didn't include this in in any of the questions, so you don't know what's coming.
2: Well, you're putting me on the spot here.
1: <laughs> and and you gotta think, you know, you've been saying heavy things all night, so think a little light hearted here, okay?
2: Okay, I'll try.
1: The <laughs> question is. Now that you have successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate?
2: Well uh you mean by slaying the dragon haven't finished the book. However, what you mean?
1: however you wish to interpret it. I can't. Well tell. I
2: guess I guess in my mind is I haven't slain the dragon. The dragon <laughs> is still out there. I haven't even made a dent in the
1: dragon. (laughs) So we're going to hear from you. No, no,
2: if if the dragon should ever be slayed, and by the way, that'll be a long time after I'm here. But at this point, I'm just addressing a book to a group of women. (laughs) Uh, For me, the dragon would be slayed, as I say in the end of the book, if a group of women ever come to me and give me a big hug to tell me that Eden had slayed. That Eden had saved their spiritual lives, and that I, that wouldn't only make me feel good because of what it meant, because I did something for them, but because that would indicate to me that what I've sh- I've said in Eden is in fact true. That would be the only evidence grounded in reality that what I've shared is true. Well, I tend to get heavy on everything, don't I? <laughs> Well, just let me say to the listeners, uh, thanks for tuning in, or would we say keying in? And I hope that uh, if it's been a little bit informative, and if not that, at least a little bit entertaining. And and thanks for being there.
1: I just want everyone to know that uh, Chet's going to be uh, out live and in person. And uh, you can take a look at his books and, and, you know, talk to him in person out at the City of Mesa's uh, Art Walk. As uh, second Friday is this Friday. And so we will be out there, uh, you know, with Chet to have some fun and to talk to some people. And hopefully, you know, uh, get his message out to more people. So if you want to meet him, just come out to City of Mesa. Um, if you're in Arizona, obviously. If you're not in Arizona, sorry. <laughs> we'll have to do something else. But well, uh... <laughs>
2: just let me say, if you ever want a book promoted, get in touch with Patty. She Nothing. is doing it. She is. Uh, I'm really pleased with what Patty has offered me.
1: Yeah, you're part of my tribe now.
2: Say that again?
1: You're, you're part of my tribe now. Hey, so.
2: that is, hey, hey, you're <laughs> hey, that feels great. That feels great.
1: I just I just realized it, you know, you're part of my tribe. Sure.
2: Hey, fantastic. <laughs> I'm getting there. Maybe that dragon is going to get slain.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Got to yank one tooth at a time. And with that, uh, since I don't have anybody that has given me other questions and and, um, I guess on your guest close, your chat's there, uh, everybody listening. I know you guys are listening because I can see you, um, but you are not saying anything else. So uh, definitely, you know, if you haven't heard this whole conversation, please go back. Within about an hour, it will be on uh archive so you can listen to it at your leisure and share it. You can share the, uh, any of these, uh, this information and the show to anybody else. So please, get out there and share. And with that, I'm going to say good night, Chet.
2: Okay, good night, Patty. <laughs> and good night, you all.
1: So with that, I'm going to just let everybody know that uh, we have a couple of shows coming up. Obviously, we're going to be out at uh, the second Friday, uh, this Mesa um, Mesa Art Walk this Friday at five. It starts at 6 p.m. until 10, and we'll be right down on Main Street in Mesa. And uh, I'm trying to see whether or not we can do a show there. We'll see how that works out. Uh, otherwise, I've got uh, several book tours, virtual book tours, uh, on my blog, and that's publishing at uh, dot blogspot dot com. azpublishing dot blogspot dot com. We've got lots of great authors on there every week. You know, two or three of them uh, putting out their works and writing information, especially about how to how to uh, find your niche in the world and, and, you know, dualizing something for the year 2012, getting out there and making it happen, and that's what it's all about this year. That's our message, and that's going to be uh, continued throughout the year. Also on the 14th is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And with that, we're going to have a Valentine's show at 6 o'clock, so it'll be a little bit later. Six to seven, and of course it's probably one to be longer because I can never get Don to be quiet long enough. <laughs> so we, we're going to say six to seven, but we might go longer till seven thirty. So, Valentine's show with Don the Handyman, and you will also see Don the Handyman out at the second Friday uh, this, this 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 weekend, of course. This Friday, and um, he will be in costume and we'll have his book available for everyone to, to you know, take a look at and get to know Don, Don the Handyman. So we'll be out there, and, um, and again, the Valentine's Show is on says 6 to 7 on uh, Tuesday. I don't expect too many of you guys to actually listen to it when we do it, uh, when we actually have the show, but we we'll definitely listen to it afterwards. And I'm going to say that's probably going to be adult-oriented, so definitely not family-oriented. So, <laughs> knowing Don, as I do. So, um, just to let you know, that will be our rated show. And with that, I'm going to say good night, and you guys have a great evening. And this is Tuesday, and this is Patty Holstrand, and this is KWAD Radio. And you guys have a great night.